Tuesday morning in the men's basketball show back here for our second iteration of the school year. Joey Alberti, a new face, Devin Dobeck, and me, your host, Cam Seibert, back here to give you some more UMass basketball talk. Uh, some news has come out since our last episode, probably the biggest of which Noah Fernandes, the transfer from Wichita State, uh, received his waiver from the NCAA. He is going to be eligible for this upcoming season. Big news for the Minutemen who lost a couple guards in the offseason to the transfer portal. Uh, now a guy with experience, uh, a lot of skill, and someone who can be helpful to this roster. Noah Fernandes gets his eligibility. And I apologize, guys. Didn't give yourself give yourselves an opportunity to introduce yourselves. But what's going on, Joey? You were here last time. Daily Collegian guy. And then Devin Dobuck, a new face here at WMUA. Excited to get on the mic with Devin and talk some sports. But what's going on, guys? Good morning. It's a little early here. Yeah, uh, doing well. Excited to just talk some UMass basketball with the two of you guys and get this show kicked off. Yeah, like Joey said, it's nice to have some sports amidst this whole coronavirus. And finally, some positive news for the Minutemen uh, in the upcoming season. I'm excited and optimistic for them. Yeah, and outside of of basketball, of course, like you said, Devin, some good, some optimistic stuff uh, around UMass athletics is for the football team announces they're going to play some games in the fall. That came out the other day, which was very exciting. I know around the UMass Twitter world, uh, obviously UMass fans excited about that. But we're talking basketball. Some announcements as well uh, regarding their season. November 25th will be the start date for uh, NCAA Division One men's basketball. So the Minutemen looking forward to that start date. And we'll get into kind of their practice schedule and how they've been progressing towards that date. But right now, topic of conversation, Noah Fernandes, like I say, gets his eligibility. will be ready to play this year. Uh, I mentioned that the guard situation for UMass is a little, or actually definitely very different from last year. They lose TJ Weeks. They lose Keon Clergeau in the offseason. Uh, now, Fernandes, Colton Mitchell, Javon Garcia, um, a couple other guys make out this guard pool for UMass. Of course, the only one returning from last year is Colton Mitchell. He's a sophomore now. He did uh, suffer that injury at the beginning of the year. He ends up sitting out for a majority of the season until conference play. I'm wondering what you guys think of this and how important, I guess, is this uh, that Noah receives his eligibility. Now he's ready to play. Uh, what does that do for UMass this year as they, they lost a couple guards in the offseason? Uh, Joey, I guess we could start with you. So I think the the appearance of Noah in the starting line, or I shouldn't say starting lineup yet because we don't, we don't know that for sure, but in this roster uh, is obviously huge, especially with losing Sean East as a transfer. Sean East was there obvious and main playmaker out there on the floor last year. And I think Noah Fernandes will be just as good, if not probably better than Sean East. So no, uh, no disrespect to Sean East there, but um, also at the same time, Noah, Noah brings a defensive presence that I feel like one thing that McCall had last year was Sean East, who was the great playmaker and a uh, great offensive player. And then he had Colton Mitchell who kind of brought that energy on defense. And now he has a mixture of the two, with Noah Fernandes, so I feel like he's going to be able to get really creative with Noah and not have to uh, limit him to one specific thing. And uh, and then Javon Garcia, also the other point guard they brought in, uh, will will help a lot. But Noah Fernandes was definitely a big big ticket to get with that uh, transfer waiver. Yeah, I think for me, the chemistry factor with his former teammates, with Trey Mitchell, uh, TJ Weeks, and Preston uh, is huge, as well as Ronnie. Um, because they're going to have that new element of playing together in the past, and it's going to bring a new strength to the Minutemen roster. And 
have some friendly faces and players they're comfortable playing with. And I think that's going to contribute to some great offense. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Of course, this Woodstock Academy pipeline, if you will, uh, that's been going on at UMass last year. We saw a bunch of guys come over from Woodstock. Now again this year, a few more being added. Of, of course, Noah, a, a Woodstock guy, like you said there, Devin, uh, Preston, DeAndre, Ronnie, a bunch of these guys. And, and, and yeah, that's definitely going to play a major role. I mean, imagine that. You're playing high school basketball. You're winning a bunch of games. I think that Woodstock team that they were all a part of one uh, on to win the championship, some crazy record of 30 plus wins and two losses. Uh, imagine that, though. You play high school ball. A couple of you go your separate ways. A few of you go to UMass and then you kind of all make your way back to the same team. It'll be exciting when we get in front of the players to actually ask them about that and what that experience has been like. Uh, but yeah, Joey, to kind of go back to on what you were saying, I definitely agree with you. Uh, the guard pool it's more diverse this year. There's more versatility, I guess you could say. Colton, like you said, the defending guard. Uh, Noah, kind of the do-it-all, like your Sean East, but uh, maybe even more skill than Sean East, more experience at a higher level. And then Javon Garcia, a guy you mentioned who's definitely a slasher, can get to the rim, has a little more weight to him, a little more size, uh, can move people with his body and try to score, yeah, like I say, at the rim. So that'll be exciting to see. Uh, and, and, and as well, Preston Santos, who mentioned it last episode, was kind of playing out of position last year. Uh, was forced to get underneath the rim and, and get a lot of rebounds, which he was able to do. But I think Preston a little more comfortable to be on the wing. Hopefully we can get to see him do that more this year. Again, Cairo McCrory, another guy we haven't mentioned yet. He's another great guard with even more size than Javon Garcia in terms of height. He's 6'5", 185. So this team definitely is getting stronger at the guard position. Of course, TJ Weeks. Um, but the, the big thing that, of course, we were touching on there is Noah Fernandes as the point guard of this team, the floor general. Uh, there is a vacancy at that position right now. Of course, Colton Mitchell, like I say, the returning guy. But uh, you have to think that with Noah Fernandez's experience, ball handling ability, his playmaking ability, uh, that he he should have a good a good running at uh, being the starting point guard for this team. Uh, I don't know if you guys had anything else you wanted to say on the topic, but I think we we covered it pretty good there. Uh, Do you guys have anything else you wanted to drop on Noah Fernandez? Or I just wanted to add really quick about Javon Garcia. I feel like. He's a very underrated player coming into this year. Not only – you were talking about him being a slasher and a bigger body dude. He can really create his own shot too. If you watch any um, any tape on him, you can see him being able to just create a shot from the mid-range and honestly having a pretty good stroke from three as well. So I feel like if Javon Garcia could really reach his potential – I don't know if it will happen this year or next year or the year after, but he can be a, a real guy for this UMass team and probably be a top two or three scorer. Yeah, certainly a guy that Coach McCall has been very high on. We've heard him talk about that. Uh, but yeah, definitely a guy that's going to be exciting to watch come game time. Uh, kind of rolling along here. A couple more topics we had to discuss today. Of course, talk about the coronavirus that's obviously plaguing the world right now, uh, causing a lot of problems and causing problems as well for Division One, or I guess college basketball as a whole. Uh, we spoke to Coach McCall a little over a week ago on a Zoom conference he told us about the practice schedule for UMass and how they're gradually working back to uh, full-strength practices. Uh, he told us about these these small group activities that they've had to do, splitting it up into two six-man groups, uh, more skill position work, uh, focusing on one-on-ones, and then gradually to two-on-twos and three-on-threes. And then I think by now they've actually moved into a, a newer phase than that. They're, they might be back at full-strength at practice. But I kind of wanted to talk about this and get your guys' take on this uh, maybe the strengths and benefit or the benefits and weaknesses, I guess, 
to having this kind of practice schedule, to starting small, doing more position-focused drills, slowly progressing towards the start of the season, do you do you see a benefit to that? Or, or are you guys more like, well, if they were just at full strength and everything was normal, I think that might be a little better uh, in, in, for getting ready for the season. I don't know what you guys think of this. I can share my take after, but I guess we could let you guys start. Devin, if you wanted to go first, maybe? Yeah, so basically it comes down – I'm kind of on the fence a lot because I like each individual player working on the things they need to improve on at their position. To me, that's awesome, but you also want to have that – like I, I, I'm a big chemistry guy, so that chemistry with your entire team, and you kind of lose that in those small groups. So to me, the practices, I as much as I like working on the skills, I think chemistry – um, cause you know, sometimes you can have all the greatest players in the world, but if you don't have that chemistry, um, you can't put the ball in the hoop sometimes. Yeah. That's a great point. Joe, do you want to chime in? Yeah. I think what, uh, what the six, six man, uh, practices really do for not only the players and, but the coaches as well is just kind of let each other hone in on just that one specific player over a long period of time. So obviously you'll have your, your little like one-on-ones in there if it was a normal season. But I feel like this, since it's such an extensive time that they've had to do this, they really get to like get a lot of detail on each specific player and probably learn a lot about uh, players that they, they wouldn't have known if it were a normal season with normal practices. So I think that that could be really beneficial. But obviously at the same time, you want to have the full team out there for that team chemistry, as, uh, as Devin was saying. So there's there's a win and a loss to to both like a positive and a negative but uh, I guess you just got to take the positive out of it if you're if you're UMass yeah it's definitely a toss up I see what Devin's saying uh, especially with the team being a little newer this year not everybody having played together uh, on the court at the same time it definitely helps to to be able to be in a regular practice and scrimmage and do that whole thing uh, but to me it's almost like the whole thing in general is building towards the start of the season, which I feel like is kind of nice, like a slow progression towards that start date where phase by phase you get to get back to normal slowly and gradually, if that makes sense. Like you start with these smaller groups and then you go into a little bigger group or then you're doing three on three. And then you, it, it almost like it feels like check marks and or benchmarks to getting closer to the start of the season, which I feel like can be a nice mindset uh, for a lot of guys, especially some of the newer guys, the freshmen that are coming in. Uh, and this is their first season. I almost feel like it's kind of nice to take it step by step. Uh, but I don't know if, yeah, we can move on from that one. Uh, another topic we had, we talked about it last week. Uh, I definitely think it's one of the, the bigger topics surrounding this team is just the versatility up and down the roster now. Uh, of course, with so many guys coming in this year, a great recruiting class. And of course, the recruiting class from last year, you got the returning players uh, that really make this roster pretty strong. And there's a lot to look forward to this year. We talked about our expectations Last episode is being pretty high, uh, but I wanted to just maybe get some takes from you guys. This is pretty general, and I'm sure you'll have some some great takes on this. Just the advantages uh, with this lineup now for UMass, all the different stuff they can do. I guess we can look at it offensively first and then go over to defensively, uh, but whoever wants to take this one, go right ahead. Uh, what are you seeing about the versatility with this this UMass lineup this year? Um, I guess yeah, I'll go. So... With I'll start with the point guards. The two point guards bring in something that I feel like uh, Sean East and Colt Mitchell probably are obviously good players, but didn't have to the extent that the two new guys have this year. And that's just playmaking and shot creation. Their shot creation is just I feel like levels above where uh, Sean East and Colt Mitchell were. Not uh, not trying to diss them as players, but I just feel like they're uh, what's it called? 
Javon Garcia and Noah Fernandes shot creation is just levels ahead. And then obviously we've, we'll talk about depth later on, but that's, that's just a huge thing to, to have now. And then the power forwards I want to also specify on because you have, you kind of have a little um, fire and ice. I don't know if that's what you said. Uh, if that's what you said last week, or I'm just making that up on the spot. <laughs> I think that's all you. <laughs> so fire, fire and ice, just with the, the fact that Deandre Dominguez is that four that stretches the floor, that, that sweet stroke lefty. And then you have Ronnie DeGray, the, the bigger body that'll, that's really versatile and can just get down in the paint and uh, be that four next to Trey Mitchell at times. And maybe even a, a small ball five, potentially, if Trey's off the floor. I don't know uh, what McCall has in mind, but he has a lot of he has a lot of moves that he can make with these this roster. Yeah, I think the element for me it's going to come down to this season is how much depth UMass can provide because uh, they have a pretty decent starting lineup to say the least. Uh, a lot of star talented players, three that averaged double digits in points last year. So I think for me it's going to come down to bench production. All those guys off the bench, the faces we haven't really seen getting the most minutes, they're going to have to step up this year. Um, but yeah, pretty much comes down to depth for me. Yeah. I can pick right up right there where, uh, after you, Devin, and at times last year, it felt like Trey Mitchell was forced to be the primary scorer. Of course, uh, at times he might've needed a little help. I think you're right. I think if the bench can, can provide some scoring, if some of the guys around him can hit open shots, uh, that'll definitely be huge. We'll kind of get towards the end of the episode and into the strengths and weaknesses of this team. Uh, but Joe, even too, like what you were saying, I, I feel like just, yeah, the versatility of the roster this year is much different. Uh, I think there might be some holes underneath the basket at times. Uh, that'll be, that'll be, we'll have to wait and see how that kind of pans out. But to have Carl Pierre in his senior year, TJ Weeks mm-hmm. back at full strength, if Debaji Walker can develop a little bit more of a three-point shooting stroke, that'll be a problem. Javon Garcia, we talk about it, his ability to score with the ball in his hands, I think, Obviously, Noah Fernandes is a playmaker with a ball in his hands. Colton Mitchell is a great passer, a great feeler of the floor. Uh, he can make plays. Kyra McCrory, a lot of size. Another guy who can get to the rim. Gasparini, we've seen the hook shot in some of the videos. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Dominguez, too. Of course, over the summer, all you can see is, is him just getting better, getting in the gym, shooting threes. Uh, he, Like you said, Joey, a guy who can stretch the floor. I just feel like, yeah, with this roster, there's so much more that can be done. Uh, obviously, when you look at Gasparini, it's like him versus DeJiri Baptiste. Baptiste was a great rebounder, a great bruiser, a great defender. But you almost just feel like Gasparini has a little bit more in his bag of tricks, a little more he can do uh, and provide this team. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I could just go up and down the roster and tell you about all the different things that these guys can add to the team this year. I think TJ Weeks, like a a guy I mentioned, is going to be huge uh, Mm -hmm. to be ready for this team off off the bat. Uh, It's definitely going to be a lot of fun to watch this team play this year. There's a lot of different things they can do offensively uh, with all the different lineups they can put out there. Looking at the other side of the coin on defense, we know that UMass implemented this press defense last year. They had it going a lot more at the beginning of the year. Uh, They kind of shot away from it towards the end of the year, but Coach McCall uh, talked about it a lot towards the end of the year, too, that he was kind of mixing up the defenses on his opponents, trying to keep them guessing and keep them on their toes. Uh, He mentioned it in that Zoom conference a few or a week, a little more than a week ago, that the press defense would, would work pretty well with this roster. Uh, I'm wondering if you guys think he's right about that. Uh, what do you What are you seeing maybe out of the press defense this year uh, if UMass tries to continue on with, with that trend? So uh, when we were in that press conference, Cam, one thing that he talked about is um, I remember you bringing up the, the lack of Shaw creators that they had last year, and he was like, it's also the fact that we had uh, a lack of guys that could defend the ball on ball. So we felt like we got we went out and we got guys that could do that. 
such as Javon Garcia and Kyra McCrory and Ronnie DeGray. So I feel like with the with the people that are coming in this year, it'll be a lot easier for them to to be able to do the press. And obviously, the press is going to be tiring. So that depth is also going to be huge for them uh, with when they when they want to try to do that. Yeah, Joey took the words right out of my mouth. Is um, it's going to be really tiring if we're pressing these guys if Matt McCall is choosing to run that defensive uh, uh, play style. So it's going to be it's going to come down to depth. A lot of the younger freshman guys, sophomore guys, like you said, Santos, Mitchell, and Garcia, all those guys are going to have to step step up. McCrory, um, they're going to have to fill in for the older uh, the upperclassmen rather um, with everything that they're doing to uh, pressure the ball and try and create turnovers. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the things I just said, as I, I look at some of the heights on this lineup, Joey, you mentioned the on ball defending uh, and we're going to get to it towards the end of the show, the strengths and weaknesses that we see maybe for whatever reason we had a weakness is being rebounding. I guess we can talk about that more later on, but I'm going to just go ahead and say that I might be wrong uh, about rebounding being a weakness if you just because Joey, like what you just said, there's so much height now on this roster mm-hmm. compared to last year where you had a guy like Keon Clergeau around 5'9, five, 5'10. Five, uh, that might be generous. So you have Sean East, who's under six foot, I believe. Now all the guards are over six foot. Kyra McCrory, 6'5. Javon Garcia, 6'2. Colton's a, a lengthy 6'3. He can jump. So, I mean, Noah Fernandes, the shortest guy on the team at 5'11. Definitely might be changing my mind on the whole rebounding thing. I think they got plenty of length and plenty of height. Uh, but but I, I do think there is a, a little bit of a question mark uh, on the power forwards and their ability to rebound. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can talk about that maybe a little later on. But just whatever you something you just said there, Joey, kind of woke me up and was like, wait, maybe I should recount my statements because uh, there's a ton of height on this team now, a ton of length, which will definitely. Yeah. And if you're talking about the press defense, getting the hands in passing lanes, causing confusion for the defense or for the offense is definitely going to be uh a possibility for this team with all the length they have. Um, but as I just continue to ramble and ramble, it's like I say, it's early in the morning. I drank some coffee and I just feel like I got the caffeine rush or something. And I am just uh, talking a mile a minute. I know I'm sorry about that, but uh, we'll move along here. Uh, almost towards the, the end, the ending part of the show, last 10 minutes coming up strengths versus weaknesses with this team. Uh, we can start with the strengths. We kind of already have gone through both of these things throughout the show, but we'll continue uh, maybe with some stuff we haven't talked about. Uh, we look at the strengths. We talked about the depth. Uh, of course, the ability to stretch the floor. Maybe we can get into that a little more um, with TJ being back, with Carl Pierre, of course, in his senior year. Who else can stretch the floor? Maybe that's something of a question mark, but I'll kind of leave it open to you guys. Whatever strength you want to talk about with the team, uh, why don't we each just go around and give one Joey, I guess as we've been doing, we can we can keep it going by starting with you. Okay, so yeah, I guess I'll I'll start with obviously having TJ Weeks back is just going to be monumental for this team. Matt McCall could not say enough good things about him, and I think not only is he a good floor stretcher, but he's he's a good defender too. Before he was hurt, he uh, he had almost two steals a game. He led this UMass team in steals. And then Carl Pierre, obviously, with TJ Weeks being back, if both of them are on the floor at the same time, that'll just open mm-hmm. things up for both of them. And then say you put DeAndre Dominguez out there, a guy who's known for just being that floor extender. Uh, those three out there together, maybe with a, with a Noah Fernandes to try to get them the ball and open up things and just try to cut to the middle, or Javon Garcia, uh, dangerous things could be happening. Say you put Trey Mitchell out there as that, that fifth guy as well, uh, a guy that – has been able to shoot threes, was able to get hot sometimes, especially in a 
game like that URI game is me and you both know Cam watching that uh, where he where he dropped thirty around the end of the season. Oh, so yeah. say you put a uh, a guy like Noah Fernandes or Javon Garcia out with those four, it could be it could be really dangerous for other teams just with that that spacing. Yeah, for me, what I'm looking at is Noah Fernandez is like a playmaker caliber player. You want someone like that in your lineup, and you pair him with the A-10 player of the year, Trey, uh, Trey Mitchell, and then you got TJ Weeks and Carl Pierre who can shoot from the outside. If he's going to be able to create those shots or get the ball inside to Mitchell, they're going to have a unbelievable offense, which is something that they haven't have had a consistent time with in the past couple of years. So I think that uh, he's definitely – Noah Fernandez is that missing piece that they needed. Um, he's going to provide them a little more depth at the guard position, uh, keep going to depth. And I think it's going to create some more scoring and UMass, uh, their offense will probably have one of the best years since they went to the tournament. Yeah. And if I'm going to pitch in my two cents, I honestly think Devin, I might steal the words right out of your mouth from earlier in the show is chemistry. I think that's going to be my strength. You mentioned there just Trey Mitchell and TJ weeks. And I get this picture in my head of Trey passing out of the post to TJ in the left corner for a three. I, I feel like we're going to see that a lot this season. Of course, Trey Mitchell, one of his strengths is passing from the post. Uh, but with all these other guys on the court, too, to draw attention, you have to think that somebody's going to be open to shoot some threes. Uh, and like you said, too, with Noah Fernandes and Trey Mitchell working the pick and roll, you have to think that chemistry would be pretty good, having known each other from Woodstock. All these Woodstock guys, the chemistry's got to be pretty strong. Uh, and like I said, we're going to have to ask him because I have to think it's a pretty cool feeling to be able to play college basketball with the guys you went to high school with and that you were so successful with in high school. Uh, so we'll definitely get that take from them once we have the chance to get in front of them or virtually, however that may be. But yeah, definitely a lot of strengths for this team, without a doubt. Depth definitely opening up this year, and there's a lot more stuff they can do on both sides of the ball. We'll jump into the weaknesses a little bit here. Uh, got about eight minutes left of the show. Again, thank you for tuning in. This is the UMass Basketball Show. This is the second episode of this school year. We'll be bringing you UMass Basketball Talk every Wednesday from 11 to 11.30 here on the 91.1 FM WMUA Airwaves. This is WMUA Sports, Cam Seibert, Joey Alberti, and Devin Dobick uh, bringing you all the talk. We're going to get into the weaknesses here for UMass. Um, I think time will tell with such a new team exactly what the weaknesses may be, but just kind of looking at the roster and just from what we know from last year and seasons prior, I think we can kind of surmise what might might give the team some trouble this year. Uh, the first bullet point I had here, and I, I think it's a pretty good one, we could start there, three-point shooting outside of Carl Pierre and TJ Weeks. Um, yeah. You had the occasional threes from a guy like Keon Clerjot, big energy play last year. Debaji Walker was hitting some threes. Like you said, Joey Trey Mitchell was able to knock down a lot of threes. Uh, but the main guy really was TJ Weeks last year. And then a Carl Pierre who maybe had a little bit of a slump in his junior year. Uh, definitely uh, went through some struggles at times, had some great games as well. Uh, but, you know, it's a little bit of a question mark outside these two guys. Who can really knock down the three for you? Uh, I don't know if you guys have any takes on it. We can we can open it up uh, and see what you guys think. Because looking at this roster, it's outside of those two guys. You don't have a real true sharp shooting three pointer, three point shooter. So, uh, open it up to you guys. I think if anyone's going to step up, like I was saying before, it's DeAndre Dominguez. You just you just watch him play, and he he has a stroke. So I think he could he can really emerge that that third sharp shooter for the for the Minutemen. And obviously, like I was like I was also saying before, just open up the floor for so many things, especially trying to get maybe Trey a little more open space in the post. You can't really leave DeAndre Dominguez out there and uh, double Trey 
if DeAndre Dominguez is going to keep consistently be hitting his threes. So I think uh, I think DeAndre Dominguez, if he really uh, if he steps up and shows that he he has that good three pointer this year, he could cause some problems for opposing defenses. Yeah, what I want to see more of is Preston Mitchell shooting the ball. Uh, he didn't take too many last year, but he was just above 40% with his three-point percentage shooting. So I think if you get the ball to him, maybe a, someone that the opposition is not going to expect to pull a three as much, and he can start to develop that aspect of his game, I think that could help a lot. Because then, uh, you know, they're closing out on TJ and Carl, and then all of a sudden you got uh, Preston Santos, and he can hit it. Just like Marcus Smart stepped up in this postseason for the Celtics. <laughs> you know, he's a pretty inconsistent shooter throughout the season, but then he comes in, pours five threes in a quarter. What do you do? Because you got to guard Tatum and uh, Brown. So, yeah, I think he could provide that aspect. Yeah, great point, Devin. Santos last year, towards the end of the year, definitely started to uh, come into his own a little more. It was funny. He had that three. He still has that that shooting form. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily the prettiest. I mean, if it works, it works, right? Just get the ball in the hoop. <laughs> I remember having to ask him, uh, I'm pretty sure I had asked, like, which hand do you shoot with? Is it your left or your right hand? You kind of like can't tell when you're watching him shoot. I'm pretty sure he's a lefty. Um, but yeah, that's funny you say that because, yeah, Santos at the beginning of the year, definitely not an offensive minded guy. He was more of an energy guy coming off the bench, making defensive plays, uh, ends up working his way into the starting lineup and really proved that he is a scorer and he can do things offensively that people didn't necessarily expect that he was able to do. So I think that's a great point, Devin. I, I think Preston could definitely be an X factor shooting the three. Uh, a lot of a lot of first possession threes he was taking last year. It felt like, and he was usually making them at the start of the games. Uh, and, and so that can definitely be a huge spark uh, from behind the arc for UMass. Great point. Uh, moving along with the weaknesses, I have it down here. I was writing it during the episode. I think I was maybe a little bit wrong uh, when it comes to rebounding. I, I still do think there's some question marks at the forward spot. Uh, but but overall, this team has so much height, like guards are just 6'5 and 6'2 and 6'3. Uh, so I think you might get some pretty strong rebounding from your guards if they're willing to crash the glass. But I'll open it up to you guys. What are you thinking about the rebounding? Is it a weakness? Uh, and where maybe do you see the biggest hole uh, in this lineup? See, I, I do think it's a weakness a little bit because they lost. Uh, all right. So last year they had two players that had over four rebounds per game. And one of them was Samba Diallo, who we no longer have, who has transferred to Manhattan. And then the other was Trey Mitchell. So Trey Mitchell had seven. But other than that, we didn't really have a guy that could go out there and would just consistently get those rebounds. Obviously, Mark Gasparini will help, but I don't know if he'll get enough minutes to really make a, a huge impact on the boards night in right. and night out. Uh, Ronnie DeGray is the one guy that stands out to me as a guy that could potentially – be up there with with Trey in that seven rebound category, but other than that, I don't know if I'm if I'm very optimistic about their rebounding again. And I felt like that was a problem at times for them with guys like Hassan French and Jordan Goodwin. That combo from St. Louis was pretty dangerous with their with their rebounding and just other big men like that in the A10 could cause some problems if no one uh, steps up. Yeah, I'm going to kind of piggyback off Joey here. I mean, you lose a guy like Diallo, who was, you know, right up at seven rebounds a game almost last year. Uh, it's tough. I mean, yeah, you have the height, but second chance points are huge. And if UMass isn't getting those boards and giving up points to the opposition, that that can definitely uh, put you on your heels during a game and uh, might be the difference maker. So, yes, they do have the height. I'm really on the fence here. The, uh, I think it's going to be only time will tell as uh Cam used that phrase before. Only time will tell for me with the rebounding. 
Yeah, it's definitely a question mark. Uh, like you said, time will tell. I think we'll have to see it unfold out on the court. Um, definitely a lot of height, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're a good rebounder just because you're tall. So we'll have to wait and see how that pans out. Dejiri Baptiste and Samba Diallo, a couple big guys that get lost in the offseason. Samba, for sure, the main one. He was pulling down a ton of offensive rebounds last year. So we'll see how they fill that void. Uh, last couple minutes here of the show. Actually, probably going to take a break at 30 minutes and keep things going on the other side. Maybe give you some NBA talk. I know that's sounds like a lot of fun. So you're definitely going to want to stick around for that. We'll talk about the Celtics and Heat. Uh, a little bit of the Lakers and the Nuggets as the two conference finals continue to pan out uh, a minute and a half here. I don't know that we really have enough time to to do another another segment. So maybe we'll just take a quick break right here and we'll come back on the other side of things. Again, this is the UMass Basketball Show here on WMUA Sports. Cam Cyber, Joey Alberti, and Devin Dobuk, Dobek, I'm sorry, bringing you all the talk. We hope you'll stick around with us here for the other side. Uh, we'll be right back next week. Tuesday morning, welcome back here to the men's basketball show on WMUA Sports. Cam Seibert, Joey Alberti, and Devin Dobick. We've been talking UMass Minutemen basketball, a lot to look forward to this season. Uh, but maybe on the other end of the spectrum, we've been looking at the weaknesses and some of the bad stuff. Uh, plenty of good, but there's always some bad to go along with it. Uh, one of the weaknesses that we didn't get to, we're going to get to real quick here. Playing on the road. Uh, it's It's been something of a talking point in the Matt McCall era at UMass. He's struggled on the road the last two seasons. Four and 20 has been the record on the road. Of course, now in the COVID era, uh, not as many out-of-conference games just yet, at least. Uh, it's going to be mostly in-conference. But yeah, I don't know if, if we can, what we think about this, how to improve, I guess, on this weakness or, or how big of a deal it really is. Uh, but four and twenty on the road is not a good record in the last two seasons. It's been it's been a struggle for a little bit of time now for UMass. Wondering what you guys think. Uh, how big of a deal is it, and is there a way around it? Does the COVID thing help? What are you guys thinking? So I honestly do think it's kind of a big deal, especially when you look at the fact that the only three teams they did beat on the road last year were Fairfield, LaSalle, <laughs> and then Fordham, who are all just not. Basketball teams. Uh, so I guess something that would really want to, I would want to see to be able to not be worried that they can win on the road or they can't win on the road is seeing them beat a team that has a up is in the upper echelon, I should say, of the A10 or just a high quality basketball team that's out of the conference and that has yet to be shown. So for that, I am worried. How do I think they can fix it, and do I think COVID will help? I, I don't know if COVID will help, but I mean, the, the best way they can fix it is just getting experience. Obviously, last year it was Carl Pierre and then a bunch of transfers and freshmen. So this year will just be more teammate chemistry, more experience all around for the entire team. So I think with that will come more road wins. But obviously, it's something you need to see before you can just chalk them up for a, a solid road team. Well, don't forget, too, though, with this COVID thing, there won't be fans, at least I'm assuming, mm -hmm. if they play games on the road, there won't be fans. I don't know if you thought about that, Joey, or if that changes your opinion at all. Um, 
I I guess it it helps the fact, but especially at A10 games, I don't I don't know how much of an impact the fans honestly honestly made. Maybe when you went to a Dayton. Or <laughs> yeah, a, I was gonna say you take a flight out to Dayton and watch them play last year. You, yeah. you, you it might change your mind a little bit. Sixteen thousand screaming fans. Yeah. If it's one of those few teams, then I I completely agree. And it's those few teams that are the teams you want to see UMass beat to be able to see them as a a factor on the road. So I guess that is a very fair point. But when you face other, like say a a St. Louis, I I don't know if they're going to be getting 16,000 screaming fans. They had 9,000 last year, but not this year. You're right. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I think it it obviously helps, but I don't think it's the, like a, a huge factor. Okay. Well, yeah, winning on the road. Um, as you guys have been saying, four and twenty in the last years, not too good, believe it or not. Um, that is gonna definitely uh, shoot you shoot yourselves in the foot if you're gonna put up a record like that on the road. But yeah, Cam uh, took the words right out of my mouth. I think COVID with no fans, if the fans were the problem for the Minutemen, well, then they're not gonna have to deal with that unless they're afraid of the announcers. So I mean, it's just gonna be. An interesting only time will tell once again because we really maybe it was the strength of schedule on the road. There's a bunch of factors that kind of contribute to that four and twenty record over the past two seasons, but also UMass's ability to close out games on the road. A few leads given away. Um, so it's just gonna come down to a bunch of the contributing factors and how UMass with this new we'll call them Woodstock UMass team going out there on the floor, um, how that can yeah, how that can play out on the court. I mean, if you associate playing well on the road or, or having poise with experience, this team has a little more experience from last year, but not a ton. I mean, you have one senior. You don't have any juniors. Uh, you have a well. I'm sorry, you do have a junior in Debaji, and you have a graduate student in Mark Gasparini. But I, I mean, it's not like an overflowing amount of experience on this roster. Noah Fernandes has some some high-end experience coming over from Wichita State. Uh, so I think there's still a lot to be seen there. And I think it's just a matter of going out and doing it to kind of change this this conversation and, and this this outlook, I guess you might say, as at UMass being a bad road team. I think they just have to go out and win some road games. And personally, I, I mean, I think, yeah, like you said, Joey, it's, it's a case-by-case basis. But I think, I mean, if you go to play a Dayton and you're going to play them on the road and they don't have all those screaming fans, which who knows if, some teams will or won't. I would think that most of them won't. They don't have all those fans. It definitely helps because I can tell you that UMass got down early in that game last year and there was just no coming out of it. Of course, they had Obi Toppin throwing down dunks and windmills <laughs> and everything like that. And that's only inciting the crowd even more. So I, I have to think that games like that where there was a ton of screaming fans might might help a little bit to play on the road with no fans. But uh, time will tell. We'll see. I think it's going to be a disadvantage for UMass to not have all those crazy fans at the Moen Center. Uh, as we know, but I think once fans are allowed to come back, we'll see it fill up uh, unlike ever before. So a lot to expect uh, on the road this year. We'll have to see exactly how it pans out. If you're UMass, you definitely want to turn around that record. Uh, and I know they're probably tired about hearing about it. I think Coach McCall is definitely tired about hearing about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last topic we'll get into surrounding UMass basketball, and then we'll jump into the professionals and the NBA and the playoffs. Uh, just, yeah, kind of to round things out. Where are we seeing UMass in the A-10 standings come the end of the season? Where do you see this team finishing in the A-10? Uh, whoever wants to go first, Joey, I guess you've been going. So if <laughs> if you want to, go ahead. Um, so I think they'll either finish fifth or sixth. 
it's going to be I, – I would see it as them being uh, in competition with St. Bonaventure for that fifth spot. I feel like those top four spots are pretty locked up with uh, Dayton, Richmond, URI, and St. Louis. Um, obviously, other than um, Obi Toppin, none of them are really losing anyone that impactful. Obviously, Obi Toppin, again, was the most impactful player in the A-10, but Jalen Crutcher still a, a great player, and they still have a lot of their depth. So I think moving forward – They'll be okay, obviously not in the same position as last year, being a, a top five team and a potential one seed for the March Madness tournament. But Richmond's going to be the team to beat this year. And then UMass, obviously, having Trey Mitchell is huge and just having him and that whole class be sophomores and then bringing in this new class is going to be really beneficial. But at the same time, St. Bonaventure, all their leading scorers and leading players were sophomores last year, and they're all going to be juniors with that one one plus year of experience on UMass, other than a Carl Pierre or Mark Gasparini or Debaji Walker. So I think it'll be pretty tight knit between those two for the for the fifth spot. Yeah, I, I like uh, again piggybacking off Joey anywhere from five to seven. I think another team that I would include in that mix is uh, VCU. They are a consistent tournament team in the past decade. Their overall record last year was 18 and 13. Their conference record was 8 and 10, so not the best there. But VCU, like I said, always can give somebody a scare. And I think with your uh, four that are locked in, I think VCU could be in that top five if the Minutemen don't show up this year. Yeah, I'm going to go very close to what you guys just said. I personally see UMass sliding into that top four. I mean... Last year, we see them go on the road against URI, competed all the way through it. At home against URI, competed all the way through it. VCU at home, they get the win. They obviously get blown out by Dayton on the road, but then they end up winning against Dayton at home. I mean, you saw last year with this team that wasn't necessarily on par with this roster uh, for this year. You saw them competing with some of the top teams in the A-10 and Mm -hmm. nearly winning games, uh, some games that they lost in very close margins. So I'm going to go ahead and slide them up into the four spot. You're right, Joey. A lot of these teams in the A-10 are returning pretty strong rosters. URI loses a lot of players in the transfer portal this offseason. They still have Fats Russell, uh, but they lose a lot of their big men. They lose to Roland Javine. Um, Dayton, of course, loses Obi Top, and they still have a very strong uh, guard pool with uh, Jalen Crutcher. So, yeah, I think it's it's tough to put them where I'm putting them, but I, I think they can do it. I mean, I think this team has only gotten better in the offseason, uh, and they showed last year that they could compete with some of the best teams in the league, and I also think they have the best, maybe best player, definitely the best big man in the a- big man in the A10 and Trey Mitchell. You have to mm-hmm. think uh, he's going to be able to carry his weight again this year, and hopefully some of the supporting cast around him will pull their part as well. And UMass could can make it into that upper echelon and be a top four team. I think they can do it. Uh, well, only time will tell, like we keep saying. Uh, but it's definitely a lot of excitement around the season this year. A lot to look forward to. I know the fans are excited about it. Us in the media, we're excited about it, and I think no one's as excited as Coach McCall is about his new team here at UMass, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him come November 25th. Uh, but moving okay, up from – go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. I just want to add real quick, talking about McCall, when we were at that press conference, you could tell, like, it was it was obvious how much he – how much more he thought of this team than last year's team, just with the depth and the talent and the versatility and everything that he can do with this team. So he, I think he's really excited for this team compared to last year. And I think you're, you could definitely be right with that top four, uh, top four slide up if they really play up to their potential. Like they were, they were playing pretty, pretty well down the stretch of the season, uh, facing up against good teams like VCU and URI and Dayton even, and kind of showing, uh, showing them what they're all about. So 
I can't I can't say you're you're crazy for thinking they're going to be in the top four. I appreciate it, Joey. <laughs> Saying I'm sane. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I think if they, like you said, if they can play up to their potential, pretty much anything is possible. And obviously it doesn't seem like this, every team in the NCAA tournament will, will be happening, but hopefully UMass can try to make a run at the tournament uh, and, and get in there and make something happen. But that's going to do it for our UMass basketball talk. We're going to move on here to the professional side of things. NBA playoffs, of course, going on right now. There's not a game tonight. There was, or for the Celtics, there's not a game tonight. There was not a game last night. There was not a game Sunday night. Uh, big break for them going into game th- four uh, on Wednesday. Tomorrow they'll play. Uh, we could just, I don't have anything necessarily written down in terms of a topic for this conversation, but just kind of wanted to go right into it and talk about it. The Celtics, they dropped the first two there. Uh, looks a little sloppy. They actually had the lead in those first two games. Heartbreakers. Yeah, heartbreaking games comes down to the end of the stretch, uh, and the Heat end up pulling them out. Now they win that game, uh, game three. They get Gordon Hayward back. That definitely played a pretty uh, pretty solid role in, in uh, helping the Celtics get that win. Now moving into game four, Hayward back again. I don't know what you guys' expectations are. Do they need How much of a must-win is this? Obviously a pretty big game coming up. What are you thinking? Um, I guess guess I'll start. Sorry about that. Um, I think this, what the Celtics have shown and anyone who's been watching can see that they've been the better team for about nine to 10 quarters of the 12 quarters that have been played so far. It's just that third quarter, I think in both games where they just got absolutely destroyed and lost those big leads that they had. That's just, that's just killed them potentially the fourth quarter sometimes too, but down the stretch, also, the Heat have been just really clamping up. And UMass, UMass, the Celtics have been getting into a, a, a little bit of a shell and just forcing up bad shots. Tatum would just go in the mid-range and just try to kind of do a little magical thing or just take a deep three at the end of game one, I think it was. And I think Brad needs to uh, to plan some, some more offense and just, like, better ball movement, really, down the stretch of games. And then, obviously, doing what they did in game three and not giving up that huge lead. Yeah, I think the Celtics, they have not been able to close out games. You even think about the last game they played in. The Heat came back and pulled to within five. The Celtics had a 20-point lead in the third quarter. So you got to just – they got to close out games better. And the big three, when I say big three, I mean Kemba Brown and Tatum, they have just not all been there at the same time. Like Tatum, Tatum's trying to – in my opinion, he's he's obviously the best player on the team. He made 13 All-NBA, but I think he's trying to play a little more – out of his shell and try and hit these big shots for the team. And I think it's coming back to bite him. He missed a lot of shots in that fourth quarter and overtime at game one. Um, it arguably cost Celtics the game. I don't like to pin it on one person, but Tatum definitely was not there um, when they needed him. Kemba Walker finally had a good game three, but he hasn't been on the last two games before. So you got to get all three of them going. Jalen Brown, uh, he wasn't very good against Toronto in a couple games, but he's, he's, been pretty good against Miami. Going to need him. But last, I'd like to touch on the center position. The center position, you've had a lot of guys going there. I want to see more Cantor. Cantor had nine points in nine minutes. I thought he looked spectacular. Uh, Brad didn't want him out there that long, and I guess it's the height issue. Um, but Daniel Tice has looked ossie ossie, so so out mm. there. Um, I don't know. And then Robert Williams, he's been getting minutes here and there. He has been the second center off the bench. Um, but you know, you, you gotta start to have more of a game plan. I'm sure Brad does, but 
um, as far as consistency goes, because he's kind of doing something different every game and maybe he's just adjusting. Um, but I'd like to see uh, the center position step up if the Celtics want to uh, pull even in this series. Yeah, I don't know who's listening right now, but if you're like uh, working at some media outlet and you need some junior reporters for the Boston Celtics, I think you might have found your guys. You guys are spitting the hot takes there. Uh, I definitely agree with what you guys are saying. Uh, Joey, when, what you're saying about forcing up shots, yeah, I've seen that at a Tatum. He's going in, doing these little half hezzy, half spin, fade away, oh, which yeah. you're used Painful. to seeing him make those, but down the stretch in a game where you have a few points of a lead or, or you need a bucket or whatever, you can't be forcing those shots up, if, especially if you've been missing them uh, so much. You got to start passing You're the rock a little bit. Too. Right. And, and yeah, and clock management has been bad at times. Uh, Devin, you're definitely right. Tice looked better in the first few series than he has now. Uh, maybe switching that up and going to Cantor. Uh, I know a, a big player for the Celtics this, this playoffs and uh, these past couple of years has been Marcus Smart. Probably most people's favorite player on the Celtics. So fun to watch <laughs> the way he plays, um, the energy that he brings. He's been pretty pretty big uh, in this series as well, knocking down some threes, something he didn't always have in his bag. He's developed that aspect of his game. Uh, but w- what are you guys seeing out of Marcus Smart? And I guess maybe, like I say, he's the, probably the most fun player on the Celtics to watch. What do you think makes him so fun to watch or so great? What, what is it about him? What are your favorite parts about Marcus Smart? Because I know everybody uh, loves Marcus. So I think it was solidified before before this playoffs that Marcus Smart was the heart and soul of this team. He's an all-defensive player. He's a potentially a defensive player of the year candidate. And the thing that has always annoyed uh, annoyed people about Marcus Smart is his overconfidence when it comes to jump shooting. Mm-hmm. Well, now, now what we're seeing is that overconfidence actually work. And now he's hitting threes. And he's been probably our best three-point shooter in these playoffs, which is crazy to say with the shooters that we have on the team. So when we see something like this, it's just like, holy crap, like Marcus Smart is putting it all together and he's really he's really showing like what what he can do if he if he puts it all together. But I think standalone defense and energy is something that's necessary for the Celtics. So when we get something like this jump shooting that he has and this offensive performance and uh, ball, uh, what what's the word that I'm looking for? I, I don't know. Just just playing well on offense, I guess. Uh, is just really the the cherry on top for his his overall game. Yeah, Marcus, uh, I've had a bit of a hot and cold relationship. This series has looked good, but there's been a few times he's trying to shoot out of bad nights, and and that just aggravates me. Or he's hit a few shots where I'm like, I don't know if like some of the league's best could hit these shots, just off balance or <laughs> tight coverage. I'm like, how is he hitting this shot? Like to me, he's just the streakiest player of all time. He just He'll either pour in five or he will go two of ten. He's just like a hot, cold player. His defense is the thing I love. As Joey mentioned, uh, first team defense, that was huge. Um, His ability to draw offensive fouls um, from the other team I think is huge. It creates turnovers that uh, gives the Celtics extra possessions that they can turn into points. That's huge. Um, And I think Marcus's defensive game, his grit, he's on the floor for any ball. Um, I think that uh, is huge for the Celtics. Yeah, I, I don't know. Call me crazy. I think he might have got snubbed for Defensive Player of the Year. It's probably a lot of bias there. Uh, obviously, I talk about how high everybody is on Marcus and how much everybody loves him. But Devin, I think you make the good points that there's definitely some some problems to be had with him. People definitely can can flip the switch pretty quick and start to dislike him when he starts to miss those those shots or fart, force up shots that aren't there. 
but when he's when he's making a man, it's 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 hard not to be uh, a fanboy yeah. because he's a lot of fun to watch. He, he brings a great energy out on the court. Um, but maybe switching over into the other series here, Lakers and the Nuggets. Of course, the Lakers take the two nothing lead after Anthony Davis's big shot. He says, "I'm like that." Looked at the camera and said, "I'm like that." Uh, apparently, he is like that. That's a big shot. I saw a great point from Chris. That was Bers- crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. Chris Broussard made a great point that Anthony Davis is at that that point right now in his career where he's considered a great player, but if he wants to become a legendary player uh, and one of the all-time great players, he needs to start making plays like that. Uh, That one's a big one in terms of his career in general, I think, uh, as long as the Lakers can go ahead and close out this series. They're going to be tough. Uh, Whoever has to play him in the finals, I think as as New Englanders, we're hopeful that it's the Celtics, but it's going to be a tough series. And and that too, I mean, how can you not be pulling for Lakers Celtics in the finals? <laughs> that is just like, there's nothing better really probably in sports uh, to me personally than a Lakers Celtics rivalry in the finals. So hopefully we can get to see that. Uh, but what are you thinking about the Lakers? Do they seem stoppable in your guys' eyes? No, absolutely not. Uh, if you have LeBron James and an Anthony Davis playing like this, I'm sorry, but with the Clippers not being able to get their stuff together, there's just not going to be a team that's going to be able to stop those two. It doesn't matter who's around them, especially now they have they have Rondo playoff Rondo back in mm. back in the lineup. It's just it's just not looking good for anyone else. The Nuggets put up a really good match in that second uh, second game too, storming all the way back in the fourth quarter. But it's just I I don't think Jokic and Jamal Murray are going to be enough unless Jamal Murray has his consistent consistently can put up those crazy 50-point games that he has been in the playoffs sometimes, and Jokic does his crazy stuff. But Jokic hasn't – he's obviously been a factor, and he's been playing really well this series. But I think Anthony Davis kind of stops him from doing everything that he can. Yeah, in order to beat the Lakers, you're going to have to have everybody firing on all cylinders because they are just a super team with the addition of Anthony Davis. The Nuggets, you got to hand it to them. They were down like 8 to 10 points with like three or four minutes, and they yeah. came back. And Anthony Davis had to hit that clutch shot. And I don't know if you said it, Cam, but I saw a report that said that he uh, said Kobe as he fired off the jump shot, which I think is pretty special, um, especially considering everything that's happened and the loss of Kobe this year. Um, So maybe he had a little extra help from uh, upstairs with that shot. But anyways, it was an unbelievable shot and not someone you are necessarily expecting to take a shot or make a shot of that nature. So I thought it was pretty special. Um, but gotta hand it to the Nuggets. I can't. I'm I'm impressed by their run. Uh, two game seven wins, and now they're they're at least playing. It's not a blowout with LA. I mean, they lost by 12 in game one, but uh, they really gave them a run for their money. Uh, they they can they uh, I think they overcame three 15 point deficits against the Clippers in the series before. So this team has resilience. Uh, they're not afraid to fight to the last whistle, almost like Miami. Um, so I think you got to hand it to them, but the Lakers, I don't see, unless everyone is just pouring in shots, uh, you got, you know, Millsap, Murray, Jokic, unless everyone's on, I don't see the Lakers, uh, losing more than one game in that series. Yeah. I think you guys are hitting the head or the, yeah, the nail right on the head there. <laughs> A determined LeBron James is, is not someone you want to be up against in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know. How many straight finals he made there? It was like nine or something when he was playing with the Heat and the Cavs. Like this guy is is absolutely dominating the league like no one ever has before. He wants this title this year. You could see that. Uh, maybe after he saw his son post that 
that picture of him smoking something on his story too that maybe just drove him a little more so he can win these games quickly and get back home and and, and punish brawny or uh parent brawny however he wants to do it i don't know if you guys saw that that was pretty yeah, crazy idiot. to me i don't know what brawny was thinking Oh my gosh! I, I don't know if that'll uh, drive him more <laughs> get home quicker to uh, give him a smoking, but he definitely he definitely talked to him about that because, I mean, again, a lot of people give LeBron crap for being a little like flamboyant maybe on social media and being real full of himself, but at the same time, he is LeBron James and his record is just about clean. You would never see LeBron James Senior posting videos smoking weed or getting into any trouble, so I'm assuming he doesn't take that uh, lightly. But at the same time, like you were saying, Cam, no one, no one in the uh, 21st century has been as dominant or as imposing as a player as LeBron has been. And we probably won't see another one for quite some time like that. Maybe, you know, the only real comparison here is Jordan. And I guess that's another topic for another time. But <laughs> it's, it's just not – it's another fine – it's another uh, championship for LeBron this year. Unless something crazy happens, some injury or fluky. But other than that, I, I can't see LeBron losing. Yeah. Yeah, Bronny, I don't know what you're thinking there. Um, that's not a good look, um, <laughs> especially with all your college offers coming in now. And I don't know what would drive him to do that. Um, probably wasn't in the right state of mind, but still I think you'd have the um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Discernance? Is that a word? To not <laughs> to know not what to do. Um but, yeah, I think that's definitely going to hurt him. And uh, going off what Joey said, LeBron, I'm not a huge LeBron guy. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just don't like – I feel like he carries this – Maybe some will call it confidence. I call it a bit of an arrogance. Um, I don't like how, you know, you can't even congratulate Giannis for winning the MVP. you got to complain about your votes. Like, that just – come on, dude. But to me, that just – I don't know. And then there's the LeBron effect that I'm a believer in is that Sometimes you'll see a call or two and you're like, okay, is it just because it's LeBron James or is it a legit call? So I'm not a huge LeBron guy, but yes, definitely the most dominant player of the century. Um, and there's no denying that he's a unbelievable basketball player, uh, period. End. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if we could go into that one for a long time, I'm sure on whether or not uh, you like LeBron and all of his antics for me, I think it's just the fact that we're witnessing greatness and I'm all on board for that. Like golf is one of my favorite sports. Tiger Woods is mm -hmm. easily my favorite golfer just because of all he's done for the game uh, and everything like that. And his dominant, like the way he dominated his sport. And it's kind of the same with LeBron. He's just one of a kind and it's fun to watch him play. I, I definitely can agree with you though, Devin, when it's like you see him complaining on the court, like, Hey, that's our ball. Like, I don't know if you guys saw that meme. That's is pretty funny, but yeah, he gets, he gets pretty crazy on the court with the refs. Uh, and acts like he deserves some kind of special treatment, which definitely can be annoying if you're a fan or someone a fan of of LeBron or whatever. Uh, but that's definitely a conversation that we could go on and on about. Maybe where I could end it real quickly is I definitely think he's the greatest of all time. Uh, nobody has <laughs> ever been a better player on the court than LeBron James. Uh, his ability to pass and defend all five positions is unmatched. But I don't know if I just sparked a huge flame that I can't put that's out. That's a so, hot take for the last couple <laughs> minutes of the show, Cam. I'll be honest. Yeah, it is a pretty that's hot a take. Hot this take. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Devin. I don't know where that's coming from. Definitely straight out of right field. Um, this is, again, though, the UMass Basketball Show. It is a Tuesday. Uh, it's 11.23 right now, and we're recording this. You're going to be hearing it on Wednesday. I, again, want to just say thank you to you guys for coming on and talking. This has been a lot of fun. 
Uh, I think we've got a lot of great takes across some UMass takes, some NBA takes. I've enjoyed myself. Hopefully you guys have too. And hopefully listeners out there will continue to tune in with us every weekday at 11 o'clock on 91.1 FM. You can hear some sports programming uh, for all the different sports at UMass. Wednesday, again, the UMass basketball show. Uh, But every day of the week, you can tune in at 11 o'clock to hear more of your favorite UMass sports talk radio shows. Um, We got a few more minutes left here. I was thinking of maybe switching it back over to the Celtics series real quick uh, and just getting your take. Do you think, I I mean, I think, again, there's some biases here. Are the Celtics going to win the series? And in how many games uh, might they do it? We can maybe sprinkle that in real quick before we wrap things up. I'm going to go with no. I don't think they win the series. I know, I know. And I I just said they've probably won nine out of these 12 quarters that have been played, but the Heat have just really shown up when it matters in the series. So I feel like that's going to kind of be more of a priority over being the better team and probably having the better players. They're just a team. And when you have someone like Bam Adebayo as your small ball big or just your big in general and then Jimmy Butler and then a a freaking – Tyler Harrow that has ice in his veins and they just they have a team right now that's just doing things that no one would probably have seen them doing especially the emergence of Goran Dragic being their leading scorer through three games I'm pretty sure so I just think they're they're a team right now and I'm not saying the Celtics aren't but they're they just have something that the Celtics don't yeah I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna go back to my point about the closing out games there's been a couple times where I'm just sitting there. I'm like, like the whole world knows what's coming. You just can't let it happen. Like Jimmy Butler getting that three off in game one to take the lead, uh, 106-105. It's just like, Kembo, you got to close out. Like that's the only thing you can't allow um, because that gives them the lead or else the game's tied and you have the last possession. Um, but when you're down, it's a completely different uh, way of going about it. And I think the Celtics have not been able to close out games blowing huge leads um and i definitely think it's costing them but if i had to pick a winner of the series i think it comes down to game four i think if the celtics win two in a row i don't see them getting stopped uh the rest of the series and i think if the heat win i don't think the celtics can take three straight from them so i think game four is a huge game uh but the celtics have just been baptized by fire for loss of a better phrase because just the heat shooting has just been lights out duncan robinson who's that guy just unbelievable from beyond the arc um, Jay Crowder, he had a bad game three, but he, he can definitely shoot Goran Dragic, He hit some crazy shots in game two. Mm. He was just flipped the switch and was just unbelievable. So the Celtics have got to, uh, close out shooting and close out games. Those are my two keys. If they want to have a chance at winning this series. Yeah. Big game for tomorrow night for the Celtics at eight 30. I think you're definitely right, Devin. It's going to be a series decider almost, uh, whoever wins that game is definitely have going to have a pretty good shot at winning the whole thing, but that's pretty much going to do it here for men's basketball show. Episode two. Again, I appreciate all those listeners out there for tuning in and, and hearing what we have to say. I think it was a great episode. I uh, appreciate you guys getting on with me to do this. Joey Alberti and Devin Dobuk again. Uh, I'm Cam Seibert. We hope you'll tune in with us again next week. Uh, But otherwise, that's pretty much going to do it. Go Celtics tomorrow night. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one.